Thank you, choir, Mulkey, Carol. That was beautiful. Before we get into the sermon today, I, I want to say a prayer really quickly for the, this church. Um, some of you have, have noticed uh, a, a strange smell in the past few minutes and have asked me about that. We've, we've had issues uh, here in the sanctuary, you know, this, this side of the building with electricity the past few weeks. And we're trying to get that resolved and uh, the issues seem to be ongoing. So before uh, we get into the sermon, I would like to, um, for us to jo- join our hearts together and offer up a, a prayer concerning that. So if you will, please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the, uh, the hearts and minds and bodies and souls of every member here. And we pray that you remind us day by day that the church is so much more than a building, that we are the church, we are the body. But Lord, as stewards of this building, we thank you for it. We thank you for the history that is in this building. We thank you for a place to convene, a place to worship and praise you. And at this time, Lord, we want to pray your blessings on this building, specifically on this side of the building and the electrical problems that we are currently Facing, we ask that that um, that no long-term damage will be done, that things will be repaired easily, and that uh, we will be faithful stewards to to make wise decisions concerning the the safety and and what needs to be done in this church building. Lord, as we turn our attention today to the text, we pray your blessings on it. We pray that you open our hearts. And open our eyes to, to hear and see the truth that you have to speak to us today. We ask that you bless the reading and the hearing of your word. And that the word will make its way into our hearts in a way that transforms us and, and makes us more faithful, uh, more sanctified followers of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through 15 and verses 32 through 44. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant 
taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we've been going through this gospel of John, we've talked about how about how invitational everything is. Jesus is constantly inviting us into new experiences and to new levels of relationship with him. And I hope that as we've done this study that you've experienced that, that you've, you've found it to be very invitational. I hope that uh, in your own personal life that you've accepted some of those invitationals, uh, some of those invitations to, to step into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And if you have, you might have noticed that with that invitation, with every invitation that Christ offers us, there comes a challenge. And that challenge is often surrender, having to let go of something. The challenge here with this invitation is that we have to let go and let God, as the saying goes. That's harder than we like to admit. But if you think about any other invitation, we do that without problem. If you're invited to a dinner party and you know dinner is going to be provided, you show up and you don't feel like you have to get there and cook dinner, do you? You're invited, you're the guest, you go and you let the host take care of you. If you are invited to a wedding, you go and you don't have to worry about the arrangements and the flowers and the music. You know all of that is going to be already taken care of. So when Jesus invites us into new experiences with him... Why do we have so much trouble letting go and letting him do what he does? There are some things that we just don't want to let go of. And one of the things that we are so reluctant to let go of is our own sense of rhythm and timing. This story today, this passage today, 
Jesus invites us into his rhythm or his schedule. Now, a change in rhythm can be the most difficult thing because we have our lives planned, right? We like to know what's coming next, what we're going to do, and when we're going to do it. And so the thought of just surrendering that, letting go of that, and letting God have his own time with us is, is difficult. It's challenging. Uh, Any time that you have to give up your own schedule, it's, it's tough, or your own pace, it's tough. I have a friend um, who I've had for a very, very long time. His name's Mike, and for as long as I've known Mike, he's always been chronically late for things. Now, I don't mean late like, you know, we, we get there at 7 and Mike shows up at 7.05. I mean, we get there at 7 and Mike shows up at 11. Like, I mean, he, he's just very, very late and unapologetically so all the time for everything. Uh, in fact, when, when uh, Claire and I got married, we sent out the wedding invitations, and I called Mike up specifically and said, look, you're going to get this invitation in the mail, but I don't think you, you really understand how a wedding works. When it says the wedding starts at 4 o'clock, that means the church doors are going to close at 4 o'clock. Claire is going to walk down the aisle at 4 o'clock, and, um, and the doors close behind her. So you need to be there at 3.30 to get your seat. And Mike said, ah, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there. And, of course, he wasn't. He showed up about, well, he, he was there for the reception. And when, and, and, and when he was there at the reception, he came up to me and he said, they wouldn't let me in. I, I was here, they wouldn't let me in. I said, well, what time did you get here? Well, it was just a few minutes after four, but they wouldn't let me. I was like, we were in the middle of a wedding. You can't walk in there. And so, Mike, this is his rhythm. This is his pace. Well, then one day he told me he was going to join the Air Force. And, and I was proud of him. I thought that was a great thing. But I said, he's, he's about to learn a thing or two. And he did. All of a sudden, he wasn't on his own schedule anymore. He was owned by the U.S. government, and so he had to wake up when they told him to wake up and go to bed when they told him to go to bed and eat when they told him to eat, and it made a big difference in his life. It's the same thing when we step into God's timing. We are so used to living at our own pace, doing what we want, when we want, and then all of a sudden, if we're going to say we're going to live within God's will, we have to place ourselves on his timetable. We have to sync the rhythm of our lives to the rhythm of his desires. Bob Dylan would record songs in the studio one way. He had a lot of well-known songs in the 60s, and people would go to his concerts and expect to hear them on the stage the way they're used to hearing them. And, and Dylan, being you know the way he is, the quirky type person he is, he would say, well, they're expecting this, so let me do something completely different. And he would go out there and he would play the song in a completely different key. He would play a slow song fast or a fast song slow. And his own band never knew what he was going to do. And they said it would wreak havoc on the band sometimes because he would go out there in a song that was in 4-4 four, four time. He would go out there and play it, start playing it as a waltz. And the whole rest of the band wouldn't have a clue, but all of a sudden they're having to play in 3-4 time. And, and, and some of his band members have talked about how frustrating this was, but how it made them better musicians. Because the person that they were following, they never knew what he was going to do. But they had to be on their toes, and they had to be ready to do things in his rhythm, 
even if he changed it up on them the last moment. And they said that this made them better musicians. Well, it's the same way with God. If we are following Jesus Christ and his will for our lives is one thing, he may be going at a certain rhythm that we're not familiar with. And maybe it feels weird and complicated. But the sooner we can align ourselves with that, the more beautiful it will be when, when, when it's all in sync. Jazz bands, improvisational bands, they have this technique it's called tension and release. And what they'll do is you'll have three different musicians, and they might be playing all different time signatures. And it sounds like chaos, and it sounds like, like tension just building and building and building, and you're listening to it, and you're thinking, what on earth am I listening to? But then there will come this one moment of payoff where this person's in 3-4 time, this person's in 4-4 time, this person's in 5-8 time, and then they all hit the one at the same time. And when they do, they strike a new chord, and it's worth it. It's a payoff. Everything becomes beautiful and in sync. And that's how life is. There are things that look like chaos to us, things we don't understand. It looks like a mess, and we're trying to sync it up with God's rhythm, and we can't. But if we allow ourselves to just follow his rhythm, what he has in store, there will be a moment where it all comes together, where it all works together for good. So that brings us to this passage where Jesus is... Uh, about to raise Lazarus from the dead. This is another sign. Remember in John, they're not miracles, they're signs because they point to God. But not only does this point to God as the God who restores, the God who brings dead things back to life, but it also reveals to us a God who does things in his own time. And so this isn't the first time this has happened, but Jesus says, I'm not going back there yet. Lazarus is sick. Okay. And then he stayed there where he was for two more days. We see this elsewhere in John. Remember the very first miracle, his, his mother comes up to him and says, we're out of wine, you need to do something. And he says, it's, it's not my time. It's not time for me to, to reveal my glory yet. And then we see again in, in chapter 7, we didn't, we didn't go over this one in a sermon, but Jesus' own brothers tell him, go to Judea and let them see your miracles so that they will believe. And Jesus says, no, it's not time for me to do that yet. So this is sort of a recurring thing with, with Jesus and John, that it's all about doing it at the right time. And he says, I'm going to go there at the time that will bring God the most glory. And that's the message. God will do what God is going to do, but he's going to do it when it brings God the glory. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 14, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. This was a thing. He could have gone and healed Lazarus. He'd already healed people. And when people are healed, sometimes they might be grateful. They might think of it as a miracle. And then all of a sudden, they're not as grateful anymore. And they try to write it off. They try to explain, oh, well, yeah, he was going to get better anyway. But when you raise somebody from the dead, there's, there's no way you can say that that was just coincidence. Somebody just healed. And so when, when Lazarus is raised from the dead, everybody that's around knows this is a miracle. There was this belief, uh, kind of this superstition in the culture at the time that, that when a person dies, their soul uh, lingers around the body for three days. 
Well, Jesus waited till Lazarus had been dead four days to raise him. So there was no doubt Lazarus was dead. And Jesus said, I do this so that you'll believe. Now, when God does something in his own time, there's always a reason for it. Invitations sent too early can be ignored. Invitations sent too late can be discarded because you've already made other plans. When God sends us an invitation, it's right on time. Now, Mary already believed. Mary came running out to Jesus and said, If only you had been here. If only you had been here, he would have lived. She was the one that had washed and anointed Jesus' feet. And when Jesus hears her say that, and he sees her faith, and he sees her grief, he weeps. It says he's deeply moved. I want to stop here just for a moment and think about that. Jesus was deeply moved. If everything that Jesus is doing is a sign pointing to God, that tells us that God cares, that God loves. And just because something is done at a time that we don't like, just because something is done in, its, in, in a, a way or a time that we don't understand, at a rhythm that we don't understand, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it reveals so much to us about God. Because Jesus, in that moment of humanity, in that moment of grief, revealed to us God's compassion, God's love, God's sympathy. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. And when I was a kid, uh, they would ask us in Sunday school, uh, what's your favorite Bible verse? And all us smart little boys would stand up and say, Jesus wept. And, uh, and, and we would say that being funny. But really, it is a powerful verse because it reveals to us the heart of God, that Jesus was moved. Jesus did not delay because he didn't care. He cared about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It says here in the passage he loved them deeply. It says over and over again that he was moved. Jesus cared. God cared, and just because it wasn't on their time schedule, it wasn't on Mary's time schedule, didn't mean that he didn't care and he didn't grieve with them. God's rhythm is not meant to make us suffer. It's meant to bring God glory, and in the long run, it will also benefit us. Now, Mary was blessed when Lazarus came back to life. Lazarus was blessed with new life. But they were blessed only at a time that would also bring God glory. Lent is a season of suffering before the resurrection. It's a season of hoping before the fulfillment. It's a season of darkness before the dawn. And the structure of our liturgical calendar, the church calendar, reminds us that God has a rhythm. God has a schedule. And there are so many times where we want to celebrate Easter or we want to celebrate Christmas or we want to celebrate whatever it is. And it's just not that time yet. It's not that season yet. And we have this calendar in place because it reminds us that there is a season for everything. There is a season for grief and sorrow and there is a season for joy and laughter, there's a season for hope, 
And there is a season for fulfillment. That's why we have seasons. That's why we go through Lent. Sin causes death. Death must come before resurrection. But as this passage points out, there is resurrection. This passage reveals that God is a God who loves, who blesses, and who gives life. But he must do it in his own way and in his own time. So many times we want to force things to happen the way we want to. I went to high school with a guy who was, uh, had a 4.2 GPA. I mean, just very smart, very talented. He was a point guard on the basketball team. He was a shortstop on the baseball team. Uh, he could play any, any sport. I mean, he was just gifted in every single way. And he had scholarship offers from, from you name it. I mean, he had offers from Clemson, uh, offers from Georgia Tech. He had offers uh, um, academic scholarships and sports scholarships. But he forewent all of that to sign a deal with the Montreal Expos because he was drafted in like the 340-something round of Major League Baseball draft. And he was so eager to get there, to get to the major leagues, that he put off college and all his scholarships and all his other opportunities. And, of course, his, his professional baseball career never really came to anything. But how often are we guilty of the same thing? We see something we want and we, we, we force it. We try to get there. We try to jump ahead rather than letting it unfold in the way that God has designed. Rather than syncing our lives up with his rhythm. But as the passage says, as Jesus told us, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added to you. Accepting the invitation that Christ offers requires a sacrifice in some ways. Yes, we will experience life and joy and blessings, but we have to realize that we must also surrender ourselves and surrender our own rhythms and sync ourselves up to God's rhythm. God's rhythm can be challenging. It can be weird. It can be complex. But it's always for the best and in the end, God's rhythm, God's timing is what will make old things new and it's what will bring the dead things back to life. Please turn with me in your hymnals to page 12. We have the privilege this morning of coming to the table, breaking the bread and sharing the wine. I want to take this moment to remind you that this table... And the elements that are on it are not mine. This isn't the church's table. It's God's table. And regardless of church affiliation, denomination, background, membership, anything else, everyone is invited to this table. Because Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. 
We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.